So I want to bring you back on because one of the things we talked about, I felt like needed some clarification, right? When I, when I mentioned the brother from Cleveland and I wanted a brother from Cleveland to show up in every episode of Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, it, what I mean by that is I want to talk about, I want to see black culture, especially black American culture, the one in which I participate primarily, survive the passing of time into the space age, into the future, you mm-hmm. know, in like in the news cycle today, we have uh, Elon Musk is preparing to colonize Mars, you know, at some point in the future. And, you know, we talk about, we got the international space station. We talk about potential going back to the moon, which is a whole different conversation. Um, but what I want to make sure is that I get the sense that um, we, I'm doing the air quotes, are participating in that future. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the deal. Um, what I want to ask you. Before I even get into the specifics is, can we put any type of delineation around this thing that we call black culture? Even if we just put bullet points on it so that we can mm-hmm. say, yeah, this character in this movie actually kind of was the brother from Cleveland. You understand? Yeah, I think to a conversation that we've had regularly um, in public, if you think about it in terms of like my one of the things I've always said about the Cosby show is that the Cosby show was accidentally black. It wasn't really a a a black show. It was a show that featured a family that happened to be black. But and you know, I vehemently disagree, but I'm going to. Of course, of course. Go. Right. <laughs> and. The. Their blackness was a part of a fourth wall. I mentioned in our last episode, talk about, you know, how that blackness does break break a fourth wall Mm -hmm. and how important that is, like to Guinan, you know, and Whoopi Goldberg. Right. And so I always looked at the Cosby show like it was Bill Cosby's way of saying, hey, black families have white problems, too. You know, if you're a rich family in, in Brooklyn, you know, living in a beautiful brownstone, you know, then you have the same problems that. You know, any white family, you know, living in any, you know, rich suburb would have. And so that's what that show really was about to me, as opposed to a good times type of blackness. And I, I was about to and say I you're a good times. And I exactly. And I'll go to good times while John Amos was still on the show before it became a vehicle to sell, you know, dynamite lunch boxes with JJ, you know, you bucking know, his eyes out and stuff. I hear you, but I don't I don't see how that runs parallel to your own life. You were more of a Cosby kid than you were Michael or, or JJ. But the but see, I yeah, so I grew up in a suburb. However, my dad was definitely not Heathcliff Huxtable. And my mom was not Claire Huxtable. My dad was James Evans. No. And my mom was Florida Evans. That's not true. Florida stayed home and James was always having trouble at work. You're, you had I'm a two-parent household and both were gainfully employed and now retired living off their retirement that they planned for. But you're talking about the financial portion. Right. I'm not talking about the financial portion. I'm talking talking about about everything else. Because even though I had two parents who were gainfully employed, we still lived in in a neighborhood that was racially segregated. I lived around a whole rack of black people because it was the 70s. And and just as we know now, black folks 
who should be living in a and, and, to, and to be clear, we were firmly middle class. We weren't we weren't Cosby. Neither one of my parents was no doctor, no lawyer. That that shit's far removed from what my experience was. Right. OK. So so we lived in a middle class neighborhood. But the but the money that my parents made, we should have been living like in, you know, not the money that they made, but with my parents level of education you could argue we should have been living in one of the hills neighborhoods at the crib right in michigan people tell you you know bloomfield hills andover hills you know like you live in one of the hills like you live in a really nice you know upper middle class like but because my parents are black they made black folk middle class money and and as we understand there is a paradigm that that sociologists and economists study that talks about black middle class compared to white middle class and consistently throughout history middle class black folks have had a life and a lifestyle that is financially equivalent and is excuse me college educated black folks have a standard of living and a financial way of life that mirrors white people who have high school diplomas. So I lived in a neighborhood, there were white people and black people overall in my neighborhood, they were in pockets because of segregation. And the white folks who lived in our neighborhood, they had high school diplomas. And I had two black parents with degrees living in the same neighborhoods and the same housing areas with white folks who had high school diplomas. You just gave so the whole Chris Rock. My experience was far from brownstone yeah, that's the whole that- Chris Rock. Uh, to live in my neighborhood in New Jersey, you had to be the best comedian or the best R and B singer uh, or exactly. a regular white dentist. <laughs> right now, shrink that, shrink that down to the people who are like, okay, now we moved out of an apartment because that's what my parents did. We moved out of the uh, out of the apartment, and now we have a place that got a yard. Right, we moved up to that level neighborhood. Like, oh, shoot, you got a yard now. Right. right. Some people even got fences around their yard. Right. You know, so we moved up to that level of middle class around white people who had high school diplomas. And both my parents went to college. So we got to we got to get back because you're going to you're going to run us down a rabbit hole. And I'll, I'll road that right with you. To me, you still fall more along the lines of a Cosby kid than a Michael or J.J., which is a dangerous place to be. But it but it represented my experience. I could identify much more with how the Evans experienced blackness than I could identify with how the Cosby's experienced blackness. Okay, now pinning that, I'll accept it because we've got to bring that data forward and say now you were saying that you didn't feel the black the Cosby show was a black culture TV show or a black TV show. How do you use right. that to inform how we put this delineation around what is black culture to, to determine the, when it survives the passing of time for the sake of this sci-fi discussion? The, the most up-to-date to carry it through, right, and keep it within our popular culture uh, kind of paradigm we have, Blackish as a TV show mm-hmm. is the modernized version. It's if the Cosbys had experienced some sort of blackness, right? Okay, yep. That... That is that to me is what the Cosby show would have been like if it had purposefully incorporated in front of the camera and in the stories that they told an experience that follows a certain aspect of different black cultures. And I use that plural because 
when we talk about blackness, right? Blackness and to me just encompasses anyone who and and anything that is black, right? But black cultures, there are multiple black cultures within this conception of blackness, right? right. You course. might, you know, you you might be Kenyan, you might be Angolan, you might be a brother from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. All of that is a part of blackness. But those are going to be three very distinct black cultures, and they're going to have features that are just based upon, you know, everything from your geography and everything else. Right. So. So I think there are black cultures. Right. Okay. And I think that's I'm going to take it to the academic world. I think that is something that you will find scholars consistently saying there are multiple black cultures. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's hell is there's the you know. There's there's the old man at the pool room, like we talked about, you know, the, the, the brothers hanging out in the pool room. That's a very specific, like 60s, 70s paradigm hanging right. out. The deals get done in the pool room. How you talking around the pool room? You're like, hey, hey, what's up, man? Motherfucker, you ain't been in two years. Where you been? Ah, no, it ain't been two years. It ain't been two weeks, two weeks, my ass. Come here, play, you know, let me shoot this pool game, man. Let me kick your ass and take some of your money, you know? Right. And then you get into the discussion. You talk about, man, let me tell you how my wife treated me right now. Oh, hell, I told you to divorce her years ago. You know, <laughs> there's that whole paradigm. Right. And that's an aspect of black culture that doesn't define black culture by any stretch of the imagination, because like millennials now, they don't experience that aspect of black culture. They have their own way that those types of traditions are carried on the the pool room, the barbershop, the church, you know, uh, the living room where the political discussions happened. That was the like the blackness that I had. Right. So that's why, you know, like that's why my, you know, even circling back, that's why my blackness growing up was way more like good times, even though we didn't have any, we had none of those financial problems. It was, yeah, we're going to sit down and talk about like how black is lived here in the United States and not even just from a standpoint of the racism that we face, but, you know, what does it mean to be black? Like those types of, you know, what do we do as black folks who are engaged in this political struggle, right? Those things that that were never a part. And I, and, you know, somebody who watched the podcast or listened to correct me if I'm wrong, I don't ever remember that being an episode of the Cosby show, but I can definitely remember Michael, you know, Michael Evans talking about local and national politics and how it affects black people. And so that's what I'm saying. That's why that show and its blackness and and how the the blackness that is mired in poverty, even though, again, I never experienced that. I get you. My question or want is to see some recognizable black culture survive the passing of time. And in science fiction, I want to see that expressed. I want to see in, in what, you know, science fiction is called the literature of ideas. You know, it's about speculative fiction. It's about an imagination of a future, right? And I want to see in that imagination, we're there. So I made a little list. And instead of telling you my notes on the list, I want to just throw them at you. And you tell me if we're there or not. Okay. I, whatever whatever comes to mind, you comment. Let's start with mm-hmm. the the pitch over the plate. I am legend. By and, your by your evaluation of the Cosby shows uh blackness, is Will's character at all did it have to be a black man? Could it have been a purple man? Yeah. I, I don't I don't think he had to be black, no. 
Right. So uh, from what I remember. So the know. last man on earth, quote unquote, in that the Omega mm-hmm. Man, in that mm-hmm. it wasn't uh it wasn't a black movie, it just happened to be a movie that starred a black actor. Right. And I think and I draw that distinction. There are movies that have black people in them. That's still a hundred percent valuable. It is still important. Don't derail. I not, got you. You're right. That not but I, I'm going I'm circling back to it. Mm-hmm. That is an important aspect of blackness and black culture, right? That black people are visible in the future, in front of the camera. That that still, even to the Cosby show, black folks as a family and as a unit being normalized for the rest of us who aren't familiar with that or, you know, don't see those images enough, that's still valuable and vital. And so Will Smith's blackness there is more important in terms of simply just normalizing, yeah, you know, brothers got problems too. You know, here's how a brother would respond at the end of the world, just like anybody else would, you know. Yeah, but it was exactly like Keanu Reeves would or Tom Cruise would. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So to me, that's, I think, that's, I think a, that's important. Okay. Next movie, Vision of the Future. This time, a post-apocalyptic, another post-apocalyptic black lead, Book of Eli. Has, quote-unquote, black culture survived the passing of time and the apocalypse, or could that have been Keanu Reeves again? You get a little bit closer now because there are very strong Muslim overtones in that character, the way he is buried, you know, the way he goes about living his life, the way that he's traveling to the East. You know, like, he... That the the fact that that character is really bubbling right below the surface, poorly hidden, you know, a Muslim Mm -hmm. in the way that he lives, whether he, you know, purposefully is submitting to the will of Allah and, you know, doing, you know, pilgrimage, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. He is a Muslim and he's buried like a Muslim. Right. If you watch the ceremony and everything. Right. So I think that gets closer. Okay. That gets closer than 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 I am legend. All right. Let me take you to a non-lead. The movie is Alien. The character is Parker, who is the ship's engineer. Do you remember him? Vaguely. I'm gonna go ahead and take that one then. To me, Parker was you or I in space as an engineer on the ship. It is modern day Maurice on a ship far away from Earth, and the only black person on the ship, but you're in charge of engineering. Parker was hilarious and mm-hmm. his level of comedy spoke directly to your sensibility and my sensibility. I, I don't think they scripted many lines for that brother. He just was like, it was, I think it was a Yafet Koto. I think Yafet Koto played yeah. that part. Right. It was. Just, I think Koto, he was just yeah. riffing like, you know, he was just like, you know, okay, you just, you just go in there and be yourself. And it was <laughs> hilarious and great. <laughs> like, how would you act if you were on a ship where there was an alien loose? Yeah. Right. <laughs> All the things that he did. Uh, he was like this voice of sensibility. For example, <laughs> The ship captain, for some reason, and uh, two other people, not the science officer, go off into brand new, kind of like, you know, unexplored planet. And one gets an alien thing stuck to his face. Mm -hmm. And they carry him back to the ship. And and then Ripley doesn't want to let him back in the ship. But stupid Mm -hmm. uh, Ash, the science officer, Mm -hmm. lets him in. Mm-hmm. And Yafet Koto's outside the glass, and the first thing he says, "Why don't they freeze him? Why don't they freeze him?" <laughs> I don't know who he's talking to, but he's right. Why in the yes. hell are you allowed? Uh, this is modern day. Why are you allowing the people from that cruise ship to fly back to the United States? A, 
Listen, and that's when you talk about aspects of black culture, why it's hard to pinpoint, because you have to take as a black person every time you wanted to be Parker watching that motherfucker not frozen coming back on the ship. What in the white people is happening right now? What are y'all doing? Hmm. Man, if this was black people, right, that's the (laughs) those are aspects of black culture It's it's. um. It's it's Potter it's Stewart. Pragmatic. Potter. It's Potter Stewart. No, it's the exact opposite. It's Potter Stewart, Supreme Court Justice, when asked the question, the difference between art and pornography, and Potter Stewart says, "Well, I mean, with it's pornography, I know it when I see it." Mm. And that was him as a Supreme Court justice saying, what's the legal definition of the difference between you know <clears throat> filth and and you know beautiful. I know it when I see it. When I, blackness, black culture, That's I ridiculous. know it when I see it. I'm too much of a scientist and you know to allow it when this. You see it. I, I'm too much of a scientist to allow this because then we have to get into the whole <laughs> Rachel Dolezal conversation, which is going to have to come after these couple movies. Because now you've just put us in a spot where it's like you can't even grab it. As soon as you try to close your hand around it, it's elusive and disappears, which means nobody can have it. Which means anybody, well, no, which I means can, everybody can have it. I, I'll give you when we get to that. I'll give you some pieces of it that that are tangible and the reason why the and this is as a tease now so y'all can watch the next podcast and a tease as to why its intangibility is actually important and decolonizing but please continue after earth will and Jaden get stranded on a planet will's injured Jaden has to go off and do his Jaden thing come back and save his dad could that have been uh tom cruise and uh smaller tom cruise yes Okay, so once yeah. again, this is a Cosby Show-ish, non-black movie. No blackness survived into the future, you say? None other than the skin color of the people. And, mm. I, don't, and I don't lock in, again, to tease that conversation a bit. Um, I think one definition of blackness is to be genetically black, right? To have those Eastern slash Western African, you know, genetics, Central African genetics. Okay. Um, but what that means for black culture is something totally different. So there were there were black people in the future. That's how I would describe that. It was a future. There were black people in it. OK. Uh, Russell Simmons went on uh, the Larry Wilmore show uh, before his whole public fallout, you know, and trouble he's in right now. And I remember watching him come off and he said, I just came off. Uh, the whitest black man show ever referring to Larry Wilmore's brand of comedy (laughs) and the the degree of questions he was being asked. Okay. Uh So let's assume the caricature of Larry Wilmore is accurate. (laughs) That's not, so we're not talking about real Larry. We're talking about the caricature as described by Russell. If Larry Wilmore makes it to the future, has black culture survived the passing of time? Yes. If it's because because Larry Wilmore, the caricature of Larry Wilmore, the whitest black man ever, according to Russell Simmons, not the real Larry Wilmore. Oh, oh, well, okay, my fault. You said the caricature of. So uh, if uh, Noah's Ark is a spaceship and mm -hmm. the only black male that makes the ship is Carlton Banks, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. what happens? An aspect of black culture has survived, which is. What the what is what is what has not survived? The Cosby show aspects of black culture, the, which the are purely physical aspects. 
Well, and and look, there's a part of black culture. There's a significant aspect of black culture that has that is assimilationist. Um, and I know that those that's a pejorative term um, when it comes to blackness. And I know that. And I think it's a troubling term. I use it purposefully. Um, but there's that part of it that, again, I go back to Cosby show. It was like there was this underlying tone that I got from the Cosby show of we're just like white people. And because of that, that underlying aspirational aspect where where black normal is white normal, right? Like you think the goldfish being flushed down the toilet is a traumatic and funny experience, just like anyone else of any other race would. To right? me, that's humanity, right? That's I don't. That's not even Absolutely. white. That's human. Absolutely, okay. and so that erases <clears throat> all of the aspect of race and culture. And just becomes back to human. So the underlying statement when you're talking about the only black family on TV, now the underlying statement is we're normal too. the way that I read and hear it. We're a normal human family, too. We're humanizing black folks without blackening them. And so I think that's what Carlton Banks making it to space is black people are humans who made it to space. But aspects of black culture, any aspect of his, you know, Western African experience in the United States. And again, not just the negative aspects by any stretch of the imagination, all of the triumphs, the averageness, the beauty, the ugly and everything else. All of those pieces come with him, but we don't see them anymore. They disappear below this greater layer of, but I'm really just a human being. Mm. And my skin just so happens to be brown. All right, part two of this conversation, I wanted to get back around to Picard because, uh, you know, like I said in the first one, I love the character. You and I both enjoy everything Star Trek. Um, and we talked immediately after episode one was released. And now at this point, episode five has been released. And, and when we were talking about episode one, I was, you know, upset because of the, uh, lack of black characters, you know, black human characters, culture wasn't there. And then we got, uh, what's the name? Raffi. Yeah. Raffi. We got Raffi. Okay which played by Michelle Hurd, who I had to look up because I'd seen her before um, in Hollywood. Uh, she plays in shows that I don't watch, but I looked her up as well. This is a black actress. Her dad was uh, in the civil rights movement. He's, you know, an actor as well. And mm -hmm. um, she comes on the show and she is uh, Picard's former first officer on the Titan. She calls him by a nickname instead of captain. We don't know what that's about, but it is what it JL. is. She calls JL. Him JL. Yeah. It's, you know, it's whatever. It's all good. The show is, is different, man. The, the show is definitely different. And, and again, it comes from my, my issue. I don't even want to call it an issue, but what I noticed immediately different from the moment she came on the show, uh, is that she was the one that dropped the F bomb on Star Trek. Like the first F-bomb that I can remember was done by the black actress in the Picard series. You love it. Let's go. Yeah, okay. There's a couple things. like, And and that's fine. Okay, so now we're cursing the Star Trek in, uh, in Utopian Future. We dropped. She also talked about, 
she kind of alluded to it's what's strange to me how after Picard retired, quit Starfleet, mm-hmm. then they called her in immediately, as you expect. Uh, Raph, you want to come on in here? We got to talk to you real quick. Uh, we just fired your boss, so guess what? You out of here too. But she was in on it. How, what do you mean she was in on it? She was in on what? They were together. Yeah, but he, she didn't know he was going to quit. He gave an ultimatum to Starfleet. It was like, look, if you don't let me continue the evacuation of these Romulans, right. then you know what? You can just accept my resignation now. And, you know, right. you stand there, hold your nuts. <laughs> and then they're right. like, okay. Like- so he comes out. Rafi's there. It's like, well, how did it go? Uh, uh, not so great. <laughs> and they want to see you real quick. <laughs> so she got to go in and get fired. <laughs> to which she yeah. has a problem later on. When he sees it later on. She's been living in a, a very True. nice space, but way smaller than Picard's because he's living on his brother's uh, vineyard, the, the Picard Estates. And she raises an issue like, well, you know, you took us both down and I'm, you were living in your nice estate. The underlying tone saying when I was living with much less, which is very strange to me. Very strange to me in the society in which they no longer have money. So is she saying that I'm living in a trailer? And I'm upset about that. Or what is she saying? What are we seeing? I think here? she was really just living in exile, you know, because here's this, you know, this horrendous interplanetarily, intergalactically understood tragedy to which she was the second officer, you know. And, you know, shit, I can imagine everywhere she goes, you know. Yeah, she's but she made the reference. one who botched it or whatever, you know. So she, made she reference lived in to how exile. Nice. She made a reference to how nice the, the vineyard was, which just didn't make because, sense to me. Well, I think that's because we know that Jean-Luc Picard grew up, you know, in a in a vineyard, you know, in France. You know, the dude dude grew up a, a man of privilege. You know, right, but where, how does privilege still exist in the utopian future? There's no well, money. I ass- well, I would assume, though, that there's still like. You know, they didn't take away his villa. You know, they didn't take away his stuff that he had. So when when he left, you know, that's what he had. He's he could go back to the south of France and live on his vineyard. If she didn't have that and she didn't grow up in a villa, you know, who the hell knows where she grew up? You know, Mm. I'm sure they offered her, you know, the equivalent of like lifetime military dorm housing. But who the hell would want to live there as, you know. Raffi, what's her musica, musica, what, musica, I can't remember. I'm not going to add that out because I want you to, I'm going to turn that into my ringtone as a matter of fact, because I want to hear you stuttering over that word. Continue. That's funny. (laughs) Raffi, you know, the former first officer. Right. You know, as like, you know, the the exile, like, (laughs) who would want to live there? Every time you walk past, people whispering like, yeah, that goes, you know, that's the one who's been caught with David. You know, like. So she cursing. She she's not living as nice as Picard, which she brings up. And then we find out she's an addict and she's been vaping also on that show. Once again, this is the only black character. She embodies all the negative things that we've seen so far. I don't like it. It makes me not like it. And I don't like it. That's all. Yeah. I, I don't have much else I, to expound on. I, I like Duke. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell, tell you like LeBron told the press that day when he grabbed his purse. Do better tomorrow. <laughs> Picks up purse and walks out. That's it. Do better Dude's tomorrow. Head held high too. <laughs> Green purse and hey. so, and shorts suit. You talk about black culture. Everybody know that lady who left black church. 
everybody's seen that black lady leave church before with her <laughs> yeah. head up in the air. Everybody's <laughs> seen her leave. Right. But, you know, I look at it and this is funny, right? I guess I kind of maybe I go back and forth. Maybe, um, you know, I find some nuance, but I think that, I, you know, I don't find her. Um, Michelle heard as as she's playing Rafi. I don't find the way that that character is being written so far. And look, she's only been in like three episodes, you know, so mm-hmm. there's a long way to go with the character and the story arc. Um, but I don't find her stereotypical like, oh, hell, here come the black crack addict. They, I don't they wrote see it her that, that way. It's written that way. Yeah. I don't you like know, it. I don't, I don't see her that way. I see her as like, so, you know, now I'm going to be the one who's something. But it's just about humanity. But, like, <laughs> how would a human being in that situation respond? Here you are. You've been the second officer to, you know, arguably the most important man in the history of Starfleet, decorated captain. This horrendous tragedy occurs, an epic-level tragedy, the greatest tragedy in the history of Starfleet. You are part and parcel of it. Like, yeah, your life might fall apart if you don't have those, you know, if you don't have a villa in France with people who are going to be your servants to so fall she, back on. So she abandons her family. She gets hooked on space crack. And then she seeks, she seeks, you know, uh, but that might happen. resolution with her son years later who is married to a uh, Romulan chick and kind of plays her off and... That's it. I mean, come on. This is a common. This is a trope, brother. T R O P E trope. But it, but but it might happen though. But why? Why does it have to happen to one hundred percent of the black characters on this show? Well, that's not one hundred percent of the black. There's a, there's been other black characters. Oh, the senator, the former senator, the former, um, senator. The former Romulan senator. Yeah, he, he's not he black. He's Romulan. That doesn't count. Well, I he's mean, if, Romulan. Okay, if we're gonna get into this, all right, then what are we well, talking about? All right, well then, if we're if we're talking about like you know, we're not talking about the not, actors. We're talking about the characters. F- fine. Look, I think that I actually just don't have a. I mean, it could be it just boiled down to me not having a problem with it. On one hand, I can see how that would affect a person flip it the other way let's say she had been the decorated starfleet captain who grew up in the south of france and had a villa with manservants and maidservants you know that she could go back to and retire in peace you know and really just get out the public spotlight and he was the dude who didn't have any of that privilege you know and had been part and parcel of this horrendous tragedy he might have got hooked to space crack he might have got hooked on space crack abandoned his family <laughs> and done you know and and you know been a, a hermit and a recluse you know I so so i i don't you're 100 percent correct that it is a trope without question and it, it's a trope that and you were right in challenging it um and in this case i can just say i'm not even going to cop out i'll cop to it i just don't quite see it that way um no 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 i see it that way I don't feel that it has the same sort of it doesn't have the same sort of weight just because of the nature of the Star Trek universe. And part of me also is, you know, I like 
just like Gene Roddenberry likes redemption arcs, you know, and the stories of the people who give it. And, and I can imagine where we see where we see Rafi now in, you know, episode five compared to where she's going to be at the end of the season. You know, I can see her being someone, you know, triumphant, mm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, by the end of the season. So I think I'm I'm willing to wait and see on her story arc. I don't if this was the end of her story, like if they kill her off in the next episode, <laughs> our next podcast, I'm going to be acting up. I'm going to be on that side. I'm going to be in Raleigh. We both going to be standing there near that mic. I'm going to be like, yo, how did they get on some bullshit on Star Trek? They put that sister and turned into a crack addict and killed her? That's some bullshit. It's racial. Uh, right. Into the, the picture ball. of Martin Lawrence. Right. That's it. it. <laughs> on a, on a exactly. total side note, I, I, I was thinking about Martin the other day. He's been in, in the media a lot uh, with the Bad Boys 3 promotion. And I, I said... A, a phrase the other day that I could not think ever was spoken before Martin Lawrence, but is widely accepted and universally understood. If somebody calls me and says, hey, B, what you doing? And I'm around my house. I might use the phrase marinating, <laughs> which is hilarious. Just the use of it. Yeah, of course. I think he started that in terms of my, uh, uh, you know, my awareness of it. Marinating? That's hilarious. Shout out to Martin. Yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I, I, I've been using that expression since the 90s as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect way to describe it, man. You just sitting there soaking it all in. You marinate. <laughs> <laughs> marinate. Um, yeah, yeah. Another aspect of black culture. What? Which is what? How we use language. The okay. unique ways that we use that we use language because you ain't never called up none of your Asian friends. <laughs> like, so it's code. We're creating code. So code is a part of black black culture, black 100%, American culture. Hundred percent. Ah. Coded and codified language. Coded Absolutely. language. I like that. Absolutely. See, now we actually have a tangible bullet point. Let me get my pen. Let me get my but the, pen. But the ways that it's coded. Coded it's language. It's coded in specific ways. Yeah. Carlton may not code language. Correct. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Okay. We're going to have to deep dive into uh, coded language at some point because mm-hmm. there's, there's so much to dig into there. Uh, you know, you get down to down by the riverside and all that kind of stuff. Like, it go, there's just so many different eras we can draw from and point out and illustrate. That'd be fun. But now mm-hmm. I give you, you've put one pin on the board a bullet point for black culture. And we're going to, we're going to do this on a multi episode arc until we can definitively push racial dolezal outside of the sphere. Cause I know you believe <laughs> hey, she black. You stupid. Look, you call her house up. Rachel might be she like, yeah, I'm just here she lamping. I'm just lamping. <laughs> <laughs> she like <laughs> I'm not telling you that I agree that she's black. I'm not telling you that I just need somebody to give me, the argument other than her genetics, I need you to give me the argument as to why she ain't black. 